Good afternoon. Title of today's sermon is The High Standard of Love for Neighbor. And the text is Luke 20, Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Uh, let me pray for us first, and then we'll dig into this passage. Father, I pray that your word reveal the innermost parts of our hearts, that our hearts would be exposed before you and before ourselves. We, we don't know our hearts as we should, and I pray, God, that as we study this text, your word would give us eyes. It would help us to see you, help us to see us, help us to see uh, our Savior, be glorified during this time. Lord, we need you. And we want to know you more, to know the love that you have for us. As we just sang, how great is your love. God, we want to be aware of that love and then empowered to love. So do that work during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. plan is to preach from, well, the plan is to preach today and sometime in July, and my plan is to preach from the parables of Jesus, and today's parable is Luke 10. The next time I preach, it'll probably be Matthew 18, and for me, I find parables really interesting because they are short stories or scenes that help us to understand deep spiritual truth. Um, so it's like an easy, it's like almost, I don't want to say kid's version, but almost like a kid's version of really lofty, grand truth claims that scripture has. Um, easy enough for people to, to get it if God gives them the eyes to do that. So that's what I want to look at. I want to look at today's passage, which is pretty familiar. Um, and the, the, this parable and the next one, they have multiple characters. And I think that's important because when you see a parable with multiple characters, you're supposed to ask yourself, okay, which one do I identify with most? Which one best relates to me? And that's what I want us to do today. There are going to be multiple slots, multiple character roles, and you're supposed to ask yourself, is, is that my part? Are those my lines? Am I supposed to be doing that? So um, let me just state the main point of this passage. Love of neighbor sees a need and responds to the need regardless of who the person is. Love of neighbor sees a need and responds to the need regardless of who the person in need is. And in order for this text to land on you, I'm hoping this works. I mean, this could create problems, but in order for it to land on you, I want you to, I want to do something. I want to do something. So, you know, when I was in college, I think it was in, when I was in college or late high school years, um, I used to just sit 
ponder, who are my enemies? Like, who are people that don't like me? Who are people that I don't like? Like, how many enemies do I have walking around this earth? You know, like, is it one? Oh, man, I can't stand that person. Or I know they don't like me. Maybe it's five. But I used to just sit and ponder, like, who are people that I cannot stand or I cannot stand being? I know this might be uncomfortable for some, but how many enemies do you have? Like, who comes to mind when you think of that word enemy? Somebody I'm against. Somebody who's against me. I think that's an important question to have in mind as we study this passage. Um, Because, again, there's going to be multiple slots, and your enemy is going to go somewhere. Luke 10, verse 25 through 37. I'm not going to read the passage, but I'm just going to go through it as we go through the points. And there are at least five questions in this passage um, between this lawyer and Jesus. And I want to structure this sermon into three parts by looking at three different questions. First question is, who is my neighbor? Um, The second question is, who proved to be a neighbor? So who is my neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? And the last question is, what shall I do? What shall I do? So first question, who is my neighbor? Verse 29 is where the question comes from. A Jewish lawyer, and you know he's known for being an expert of the law, the Old Testament law. Jewish lawyer stands up and questions Jesus. It says he wanted to test Jesus. In verse 25, he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered the question with a question. He says in verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer, again, familiar with the law, because that's, that's, his, that's his place where he is most competent. He's familiar with the law. He says in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was really pleased with this answer. Um, Verse 28, he says, you have answered well. So the lawyer is essentially asking, what do I need to do to be right before God, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, look at the Old Testament. How do you read it? What, What does it say there? And miraculously, these two people, who could have been at odds, they agree at the same source material. It's the same Bible, same scripture that gives the answer for how to inherit eternal life. What's interesting about this passage and that response is that this lawyer is really reading his Bible closely. He's putting together passages that are not together. First passage, love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's coming from Deuteronomy 6. And that part about loving your neighbor as yourself, totally different book of the Bible. That's from Leviticus. I mean, honestly, when I first read it, I was like, that doesn't sound like an Old Testament verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
kind of sounds more like a Jesus verse, not an Old Testament verse, but it's, it's in Leviticus 19. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So notice, don't take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jews typically read this commandment, they saw themselves as saying, they saw it as saying, hey, I need to love other Jews. Makes sense. They're the sons of my own people. I'm a Jew. They're a Jew. That makes sense. I need to love them. So as this lawyer comes to Jesus and says, I ought to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself, he has in mind other Jews. Jesus says, you have answered well. Do this, and you will live. Do the commandments, and you will live. Do this, and you will have eternal life. With the first question, the lawyer is essentially asking, what is the right standard for being right with God? Jesus says, it's in the Bible. It's in the scripture. But then, when they agree about the standard, we all do this. When we agree about the standard, the next question is, do I measure up? I see that high bar, but do I have what it takes to meet it? Luke 10, verse 29 says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is, who is my neighbor? Like, let's clarify, let's dig into that verse a little bit. What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Who is that? Who is that person? But it also says he wanted to justify himself. That means he wanted to render a favorable verdict for himself. He wanted to vindicate himself. Like, in other words, he was saying, I, I think I got that. Jesus, tell me who my neighbor is so I can say, I got it. But if you look at the question carefully, the question is flawed. Who is my neighbor? It means who are not my neighbors? Who don't I have to who don't I have to love? Who don't I have to care about? Who are my non-neighbors? Many years ago, and I think this is before I moved to Minnesota, um, my uncle, he said something to me. I mean, he said he says a lot of things to me. He's rich, so I like him. He's funny, um, so I like that too. Like, he says a lot of things to me. But this one I remember. He said to me, if you don't marry a black woman, you hate your mother. And, like, when I heard that, it registered, it clicked. Like, something, like, clicked. Like, he's, he's trying to say something. What is he trying to say? And I think this was at a point where, you know, I was going to a predominantly Asian-American church. So I think he was just putting two and two together. Like, hey, dude, be careful. Look around you. Do you see anybody 
He's black? No? Okay. Don't hate your mom. Don't do that. My uncle was trying to draw boundaries. My uncle was trying to say, you see, that group of people, they're not worth your time. You see, that group of people, okay, you can, you can, you can give them attention. And I, I understand where he was coming from. Um, we can get into that at some other point, but what I saw clearly in his mind were boundaries. And I mean, some of you guys might experience something like this. Like your parents, your friends, uncles, aunts, they come to you and say, yeah, so like that group of people, don't bother. That group of people, uh, it's, it's okay. That group of people, they're the best ones. They're worth your time. That's what this lawyer was trying to do. Who's worth my time? I have love in my heart, and I see people out there. I want to obey God's commandments. Who do I have to do that to? There's some people over there, do I have to care about them? There's some people over there, do I have to care about them? Like, who do I have to love? Boundaries, he wanted fences. He wanted to section off his love. And if you pause and think about this, there are people who are easier to love in our lives. You have students versus young adults, you know? Like, who is easier to spend time with? If you're a student, probably the students. If you're a young adult, probably the young adults. If you're married, probably the married people. If you're single, probably the single people. Like, there are people in our lives that we gravitate to because it's easier to love. And then if God says, hey, you need to love that person, we're like, oh, really? Do I? Are you sure I have to love that person? Are they, are they worth my time? Are they my neighbor? If they're not my neighbor, then I'm not going to love them. There are a lot of people out there in this world. Are you going to be able to love all of them? If not, then you would ask the question, who's my neighbor? Who qualifies for my love? The point here is this. God's standards are really important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's related to having eternal life. So if you don't follow that command, you will not live forever with God. You will be separated from God's goodness. So following his commands lead to eternal life. Following, not following his commands lead to eternal damnation. So it makes sense. Who is my neighbor? Can I do this? And, you know, it's important to realize in this passage, this man was trying to find loopholes. He's trying, to, he's trying to minimize God's standard. God, it looks like your standard might be up here, but I got I to gotta bring that down to something I can achieve. You know, I see that you said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. But you didn't say anything about this neighbor part. You didn't say, like, who's my neighbor? So, like, who is my neighbor? And that's the question that Jesus answers with a parable. Verse 36, um, 
says, who proved to be a neighbor? That's the second point. Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Um, this trip was known for being dangerous. So unsurprisingly, he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So what is going to happen to this man? Let's find out. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. So yes, priest, he's here to save the day. Religious, leader, he loves God, right? Love the Lord your God. So of course he's going to love his neighbor. And when he saw him, like he saw him, he saw him. He was looking at him, saw his condition. He passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, he was essentially a temple assistant. He was helping the priest. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So here you have two respectable Jews, both a part of this like religious system, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they are just passing by people or this person, this traveler who's in need. They, they see him, but they move to the other side of the road. Um, when I was, I was, I went to Washington, D.C., and there's this church um, that I went to, and I really was encouraged by this pastor because what he would do is, you know, people would come, um, well, people would be at his church and then say, hey, we want to plant a church. And this pastor would say, hey, guys, church, do any of you want to go with that person? Like, go, please. If you feel called, please go. Go to that church. He's, they're planting a church. You know, D.C., if you don't know, is a commuter city, city. So a lot of people live in the suburbs, but then they commute into D.C. because it's just very congested, busy, lots of things. But they live in the suburbs, commute in. So they travel great distances to work, you know, in the government buildings. This pastor would say, hey, guys, if it takes you an hour to get here and you're passing by all these good churches, stop, turn back around, go to those good churches. Like, don't pass these good churches that are in this area, that are closer to you, that are in your neighborhood, just to come to our church. Like, I know, like, he didn't say this, but his church is a really good church. I, I was happy to be there. But he was telling people, hey, it's not about our church. It's about the kingdom of God. So I saw that, and I was just so encouraged because he's essentially encouraging people to not pass by the needs that are in their own communities. That's not how the Levite and the priest were operating. The Levite and the priest, there's no explanation as to why they passed by it's just that they passed by. They didn't care. It wasn't a concern to them. 
Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. First, notice how much time I spent reading that. Like, is if you combine what was said about the priest and the Levite, it's still less than what was said about this good Samaritan. So what's the point? The good Samaritan is the focus of this passage. Second, most scholars agree that this would have been an unlikely person to show up at this point of the parable. You know, like Jesus said, the priest passed by, the Levite passed by, so clearly Jesus is against some of the religious elite of that time. And now here comes the good Jew to come by and save the day. But he doesn't come by. It's the good Samaritan that comes by to help. Jesus said, this is not about your ethnicity. This is bigger than that. For the Jews, Samaritans were despised, really despised. Um, You can get into a lot of their history, like there was division among the kingdom, um, Solomon and his king, the Israel's kingdoms were divided. And then they, you know, this group of Samaritans, they intermarried with non-Jews. So they, they were Jews, but then they broke off, intermarried with non-Jews, started really their own, you know, their own temple, their own place of worship, their own system of worship. So they were like, looked down upon as half-breeds. Like, yeah, they, they, they're they kind of Jews, but kind of not. Um, it was written somewhere that eating the bread of a Samaritan for a Jew was almost as offensive as eating a pig, which is Jews don't eat pork. So imagine you're starving, you need food, a Samaritan comes by and says, hey, I got some food. I made some bread. Do you want some? Your response would be, I'd rather die. Like, I, I, if you cooked it, I'd rather die because I don't mess with you. Notice in verse 36, Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Verse 37, the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. Did you catch that? He doesn't even say the Samaritan. He just says that one. Like, I can't even bring myself to say that that was a Samaritan, that who was the hero of the story. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? What can we learn from this? One, Jesus flips the question from who is my neighbor 
to who proved to be a neighbor. I'm not just looking at who my neighbor is, but what do neighbors do? Jesus teaches that being a neighbor is related to responding to the people's needs, to those in need. Two, by telling this parable and placing the Samaritan in the character role that he did, Jesus is calling to mind someone that the, par- that the lawyer despised. Many Jews despise Samaritans. So why put him in that character role where he's the hero? It's to bring to mind some of that bitterness, hatred, ethnocentrism, that stuff that would say, are you sure I got to love that person? But don't you know they're Samaritan? It's interesting that sometimes our neighbors can be right next to us. But in our hearts, we treat them as though they're billions of miles away. These days, I find it very fascinating how easy it is to um, you know, find people that you dislike and then see them doing things that you dislike, which just justifies more why you dislike them in the first place. You know, like, oh man, that Republican said this, and now he's doing this. Man, I really hate Republicans. Or that Democrat said this, and now they're doing this. Man, I really hate Democrats. Like, one of my friends, he's Taiwanese, and I don't want to put him on blast, but he's like, he probably, He's too late. He's Taiwanese, and he hates China. Like, hates it. Hates it. Like, it's just like everything that China does is corrupt. And I see him posting different things, like, you know, World Health Organization, all these different things. It's like everything that China, China can do nothing right. When I read that, I think, wow. He really hates them. And I don't know, I can't say he hates them. He, he strongly dislikes them, for sure. And he knows all the different things that they're doing wrong, which justifies his dislike for them. Jesus, in this parable, is inserting someone that you hate. Remember I had us think about who's on your enemy list? someone that you hate into this story and that person was actually doing good. It's like they're volunteering at a food pantry or they are, you know, caring for inner city youth. Like you're, you're just like, what? I, I can't believe that account. Like, are you sure they were there? Are you sure that's their photo? Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus use someone that offends us as the hero of the story? And I think it's because of this. The way our hearts respond to someone or group that offends us the most often reveals what offends God the most. In other words, sometimes we understand what offends God best when we evaluate how our hearts respond to those 
who offend us. If I get angry at that person or that group, then I discover what offends God. And God is doing that in this parable. He's trying to peel back this lawyer's heart and say, hey, you know that person that you don't like? What if I made him to be the the neighbor, the good neighbor? Do you still like him? And if you don't like him, that means that you're not keeping this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. parable of the Good Samaritan is often entitled the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. That's how it's known. But to this lawyer, there was nothing good about the Samaritan. Like, that's not how Jews rocked with, the, with Samaritans. They didn't think of them as good people. So Jesus is trying to expose that. At the same time that he's trying to say, this is what a neighbor looks like, he's also saying, this person should be your neighbor, and you should treat them as you treat yourself, but you're not. That's the genius of this parable. He's not just exposing what neighborly love looks like, but he's exposing a heart that is not loving. If I were to ask you which character you identify with, Naturally, we would want to be the Good Samaritan. That's the, that's the best place. You know, that's the best role. That's the leading role. That's the hero. But we know that if you put certain people in our lives, we're, that's not who we want to love. Are you sure that that's my neighbor? God, are you sure that that one is my neighbor? As I read this passage, you know, I had a dream this morning, um, but then I woke up. And in the dream, um, I wasn't even going to share this, but in the dream, like, I had beef with somebody. And then I woke up, and then God, I felt like God was saying to me, that's what this passage is about. That person that you have beef with, um, that's your neighbor. So you're supposed to love that person as you love yourself. You know, we take this idea of being a good Samaritan and we try to do that. But I think if we are really serious with ourselves, we don't measure up. We're more like the priest. We're more like the Levite. We walk by. We don't care. We don't love. And this parable is intended to expose that. It's good for us to be exposed sometimes so that we can repent, so that we can cry out and say, God, I need a change of heart. If I'm going to be able to keep that commandment, I need a change of heart. I need your grace. And, you know, Jesus is willing to care for us like the Good Samaritan. I, he's more than a Good Samaritan, you know, because he was, he was the one who was attacked, robbed, 
disgraced. He, did, he wasn't left half dead. He was killed for our sins. So he knows what it's like to be in need. But he's also a savior. This fascinating thing. He's a savior, but he also knows what it is to be a victim. So that's why he's able to relate with us. And that's the good news of the gospel, that we have a God who's willing to show mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think, um, I'll just go to the last point. What shall I do? And this question comes up again and again, 25, verse 32. Verse 25, verse 28, verse 37. But I want to point out two things before we get deep into this point. First, as I was studying this passage, someone reminded me that um, it's crazy how he just like kind of passed over that first part of the commandment. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He just kind of like, I got that. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's in In and of itself, that's heavy. To say, I love God with everything that I have. But somehow he was able to just say, like, yeah, I got that. Who's my neighbor? Second thing to notice. Notice how doing repeatedly shows up in this passage. Um, Verse 25, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 28, Jesus said, do this and you will live. Verse 37, And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. But before we start thinking of doing as something good in of itself, think about this. Like doing is the fruit. Being is the root. Doing is the fruit. Being is the root. And I get that from this passage. The lawyer was interested in who was a good neighbor, Jesus redirects his attention to be a good neighbor. You know, look at verse 36. It says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? Not do neighborly things. Be a neighbor. Jesus didn't simply say, do neighborly things. Go and do likewise. Jesus was saying, be a neighbor that does neighborly things. All of our doing is a product of our being. It's tied to who we are. Are we neighbors? You know, another way to think about this is an apple tree does not prove that it's an apple tree by, you know, bearing fruit, bearing apples. It bears apples because it's an apple tree. The fruit come from its identity. That's who it is. It's an apple tree. So, of course, it bears apples. It doesn't have to prove anything. But what the apples are, are evidence. Jesus really does care about what you do, but he doesn't let you ignore who you are. Our doing is always connected to our being. And the point here is this. If you are a neighbor, then go do neighborly things. Not just in your hometown, not just around people that you like, 
but wherever you are, wherever God places you, do neighborly things because you are a neighbor to people in need. Have compassion because compassion, when it encounters a need, responds in love. It, 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 it just meets that need. That's what compassion does. So I think all these things need to be said because, you know, when you talk about doing and all these different things, like our hearts are naturally inclined to focus on the doing and not focus on the being. Our hearts are inclined to minimize God's standards. Like, yeah, God, I can do that. No, you can't. That's the point of the gospel. You can't meet God's standards. So with that being said, um, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question by saying, go and do likewise. Again, I think Jesus is doing two things in this parable. He's stating what love looks like, and he's exposing or tearing down the boundaries that keep us from doing loving things to our neighbors. Like, like fences, they keep our neighbors out of our lives. They, they, they protect us from our neighbors. So Jesus is trying to tear that down. So that's how I want to structure this last point. Um, just kind of like six applications for how we can respond to this passage. And first category is more like building up. Like how can we love like Jesus says we should love through this passage? Jesus says, go and do likewise. I don't think this means go and find people who are traveling and like help them, um, you know, if they get beat up. Like that's, I don't think that's what it means. It could mean that, but I don't think that's what it means here. Um, I think what it means is the way this person, this Samaritan responded in love, you should be willing and able to do that. I see at least three specific things. One, he had compassion on the traveler. Verse 34 says, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. This reminds me of people who, you know, just in the last few weeks have been serving and caring for this community. They, they see a need. They see an acute need. Somebody needs help. I want to provide food. I want to provi provide material possessions for people who don't have. They, they are taking someone else's need and putting, them, putting it on themselves. That's what compassion does. So if you're looking for things to do, do that. Go and do likewise. You can go and find people who need and then go and do that. Love, like this Samaritan. Verse 5, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. So, one, he found a need. Second, he supported others who were caring for the man. man. Like, he, he's not just thinking, this is all on me, I can do it all. No, he's caring for others who are caring for this individual. He's supporting others. So, you know, I think about this, maybe there will be an announcement but 
there's an organization that CLC is collecting money to give to. We're, we're recognizing limitations or whatever the case might be, and we're saying, hey, we can't do it all, but we can support other ministries, and you can find your own. There are many. Go and do likewise. Care for those who are caring for people in need. Third, he showed compassion in both the short and long, long term. Um, this means he invested in this individual. So verse 5 says, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Meaning, I'm not just dropping this guy off. That's your problem. Like, I am in this until this person recovers. I'm committed to this. And this is hard. This is not easy. Um, I have in mind, you know, people who, at CLC, who are like, hey, you know, ministry to the campus is like hard. I'm 30. I don't really want to be here because there are students who are 18 coming in. But I'll stay. I'll serve. It's not my, it's not my, like, comfort zone, but I will care and serve. I'm in this for the long term. And we could do that with some of the relief efforts that have been happening in our community, but ultimately this mindset of if I see somebody in need, I'm not just going to help out for a minute and then walk away. I'm invested. Um, MLK, I was my wife told me this, MLK said, it may be true that the law cannot make a man love me, but it can keep him from lynching me. And I think that's pretty important. Um, I am thankful and probably need to be more thankful for all the legislation that has gone forth that protects rights civil rights, protects my life in different ways. Um, it's, ama it's an amazing thing. And so people who are focused on that effort, I applaud you. I, I'm appreciative. People who are driven to not just seek out material possessions and material meet material needs, but who would involve themselves in legal matters and um, caring for me and my family and different people in that way, I'm grateful. One thing I was reminded of, though, is Ata, who said, but this is not enough. Like, we're not, we're, and, and MLK knew that. He knew that. But she was just lamenting and saying, I don't want somebody to just not be able to hurt me. I want them to love me. So that's what the second half of the application is about. And this is going to get um, pretty serious, okay? So just put it out there. A few points of application have crossed my mind over these last few weeks. And, um, you know, it's really interesting that Jesus chose the hero of the story to be a Samaritan, somebody that was despised. And, I again, I think he did that so that you would – get that feeling of, oh man, there might be something in my heart that doesn't want to love. So here are three points. 
that specifically relate to ethnocentrism and racism and any type of ism that separates and divides us as human humans, okay? Three points. Um, last Saturday, the book club met and Jesse suggested, oh, I didn't mean to say his name, sorry. Je Jesse suggested that we study a book on race um, and racism. And I, I thought that was a good idea, but I thought nobody would read it. So what I'm suggesting, and I got some approval, is for us to look at a few different articles, short articles, short but substantial articles that deal with this topic on race and racism. Um, um, I think it'll be a good opportunity to ponder like what, what is racism, define it, explore it, understand it better, and discuss it as people, Christians. And um, I really think it's a good opportunity because we don't want to hypocritically denounce something in someone else when it could be in our own hearts. That would be crazy, right? Man, that dude is so blank. But you are too. Like, we don't want to do that. So we want to find out what is racism, talk about it, think about it together. And, you know, like, I want to address questions like, oh, what does it mean to show justice and mercy? And how do those things relate? And, like, how can I love those who are not just hurting, but even those who are the offenders? Like, what, what does that look like? Should I, should I just only show them justice? Should I show them mercy sometimes? Like, how do I reconcile those thoughts? So if you're interested... We will be doing that soon. Be on, be on the lookout. I told Jesse to post something today. We'll try to organize it. Um, I've been collecting materials so that we can read it together. Second, on Friday, um, I was talking to somebody at CLC, and I won't use their name. They told me I could. I don't know why they would do that, but I won't use their name. And he was just sharing with me, like, really vulnerably that as he's been thinking about this issue or these recent events, that he recognized that his parents were pretty racist. Like, you know, they owned a store, and growing up, he kind of just, like, just saw their racism, like, just right there. And he's been thinking about it, like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? And I don't have specific, I mean, I would want to hear more to give specific answers, but I would definitely say it's important that we talk to those that are close by to us. Like, sometimes it's crazy that we have these arguments with people that we don't even meet in person, but then, like, our parents, our friends are, like, right there, and we're like, uh, that's hard. And it's hard. Like, one time, one time, many times, this guy, he would say, like, really frustrating, racist things to me um, at a previous church I went to. And, like, it got to a point where I was just like, oh, like, I'm going to talk to this guy. I don't know if I did it out of love, but I did it. And it was awkward. And it was frustrating. I think there was some progress. I can't remember all the details. But I just remember thinking, man, this reminds you how hard it is to talk about racism. Like, it's easy to denounce it, 
but to actually address it, you know, like, okay, so the first point is kind of, in my own heart, is there racism? And then in somebody else's heart, like right next to me, my neighbor that I keep passing by, like, will I address racism there? Not on Facebook, right in your family. Can you address it there? And the reason why we address it is not because we're bored or not because we're like vicious. We are addressing it out of love. I don't want you to miss out on eternal life. If you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you will not have eternal life. That's what the law says. That's what racism will lead you to miss out on. Or ethnocentrism. Like, there's so many isms, okay? It's not just racism. It's a lot of isms. Not out of pride, but out of love. We have hard conversations with people who are nearby us, not passing by them, okay? Third. This passage reminds us of an age-old problem that we tend to like people like us, which is kind of weird because it's essentially we're saying, I like myself. <laughs> like, like we, get, we get that last part of the command, right? Like, love your neighbor as yourself. I like myself. So I stay around people that think like me, talk like me, eat what I like, like what I like, like, I like myself, okay? So, in this passage, I think there's a call, and I want to be, like, really careful here. There's a call to beware, and that's an important word, beware of self-isolation and self-selecting. The lawyer says, who is my neighbor? not in order to maximize the number of people he can love, but to minimize. The Levite and the priest passed by, not because they loved everyone, but because they loved a few. And this will require lots more conversation, but ethnocentrism, like I care about my ethnicity. Racism, I care about my race. I don't care about that race. Those things can hide in mono-ethnic cultures, groups, or multi-ethnic groups, churches. So this is not shade on one or the other. It's a warning. Like, beware of self-isolating, self-selecting. And, you know... It's, it's amazing. Like, you can have, like, a Japanese and a Korean and, you know, first generation, they, the parents can't talk because there's bitterness. Second generation, the kids are like, what, what are you talking about? This is my friend. That's, that's amazing. You can have Chinese, Koreans in the same room talking to each other, but then notice, you could also have them talking to themselves. Like, we're Asian, um, predominantly Asian-American church, but... The Koreans hang out with the Koreans. The Chinese hang out with the Chinese. Like, we don't want that. Because this passage is speaking against it. It's saying, don't 
self-select when it comes to your love. If we don't get this right, we miss out on what unites us. The blood of Jesus unites the church. It doesn't care about what race you came from, what ethnicity you came from, like your socioeconomic class, your history, how many sins you committed. The blood of Jesus is available for anyone and everyone. If you believe and receive it. So if you get this wrong, you will miss out on the Great Commission that says, I care about the nations, not just my nation, the nations. You'll miss out on the gospel that says, anyone, come. You are welcome. Let me conclude this way. The love of God is a love that rescues sinners. Those who are not worthy of God's love are pursued, are shown compassion, are provided mercy from a God who is under no obligation to help them. He's holy, we're not. He should have been separated from us for eternity, but he loved us. And that's the type of love that we should have for one another. Jesus was sent to die for us even while we were his enemies. And again, that's the type of love that Jesus is pointing to in this parable. And as you see that lack of love in your heart, your, your thought should be not, can I make my, my neighbor's group smaller? It should be, God, change my heart. I need you. I need you. Like, I need you. If you don't come and rescue me, I am going to miss out on eternal life. It's interesting that the person who was attacked in the parable is not identified. Like, is he a Jew? Is he a Samaritan? No, it's, it's, it's not. It's like unclear. That's okay, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Love finds a need and responds to it, not based on ethnicity, not based on socioeconomic class. It just responds to needs. And I mean, and we can get into different conversations on like when helping hurts and all those different things, but I just want to put that out there. Hey, needs are responded to regardless of things that would separate us. Just like the need that God responded to in our own hearts. Like we love because he first loved us. All of our love that we have is in response to the love that we have received. The standard of love that God expects for those who say that they love them is a lot higher than what this world considers normal. And as we notice the deficiency in our heart, we can pray, say, God, help me, transform me, 
so that I that I so that I can exhibit that type of love that proves that I am your disciple. Let's pray. There's so much that I wanted to say um, that I didn't have time to say, but again, um, I think that this is a good passage for us to not just see what a neighbor does, how a neighbor can care for a need that is desperate, acute. But we can also see the shackles, the, the chains in our own hearts that keep us from loving others. You know, like it's it's one thing to be in a situation where you can love, but if you are in that situation and feel like you can't, like, then what? What do you do? Like, how, how can you, you're like, you know, imagine you, you're, you're in a situation, you see a need, but you just, you're chained up. You can't do it. If we're honest, that's where our hearts are most of the time, many times. And that's what God is wanting to change. So let's let's pray, you know. Let's pray that God would give us hearts that care about other people's needs that don't look like us. God would give us hearts that care about people's needs that we don't think deserve our attention. And ultimately, let's pray that we would be so thankful and so compelled by the love that we have received. Let's take some time and pray. Uh, let's pray together. Before we close, let's pray for our city. Let's pray for the Twin Cities. As that God will continue to work through the churches in the cities to bring healing, bring reconciliation, and to bring progress, to bring the gospel um, so that people can know God. And through the gospel, um, our city can be changed. Let's pray for that. And then also for Christians interacting with neighbors, pray for churches that are trying to help help locally and pray for our church that we can continue to grow and that our hearts will become more like God. Let's pray together for that and close us in prayer and benediction. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that you give us to not only teach us in our minds but to also expose our hearts, to challenge us become less like ourselves and to become more like Christ. We pray that you would help us to continue to stay in the mindset and the track of repentance, uh, not looking to others, not just uh, condemning racism in others, but to be able to look into our own hearts and see the ways that we are unlike God so that we can repent and change and grow uh, so that we would have eyes to see the needs around us so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to those who are in need, that need the love of Christ, that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, from change that happens from within, make us uh, the ambassadors that will not only show the love of Christ to this world, but will uh, bear the gospel of Jesus Christ through our words and our actions. Be with us be with our church, different ways, even small ways that we're trying to grow. Pray that you would help us become a church that is um, 
that will represent you well here in the Twin Cities on our campus. Thank you, Lord, for, for this time. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, incredible love, the love of the Father God, and fellowship and strength are the Holy Spirit. Be with you, God's people, both now and forever.